if all those here present and all those watching all over the world and all those listening, may your Shekinah glory fill the temple this morning. Amen. May your presence make a way for us. Let your glory be manifested upon every life this morning. We bless you for we know the race is not for the sweet. The battle is not for the strong. But by your grace and mercy, you reach out to us. By your compassion, you show us the way. And by your unlimited resources, you minister to us. And so we thank you for we know we walk by faith and not by sight. For we know when we are weak, then we are strong. For we know, like the Apostle Paul, we may be cast down, but not abandoned. And we understand all through history and all through your dealings in our lives that your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts higher than our thoughts. Even when we do not understand, one thing we know, you have a plan and you orchestrate every event in our lives for a divine purpose. And we come this morning to thank you for you have never made a mistake. To thank you for you neither sleep nor slumbers. To thank you for you are turning things round for us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Take the glory, take the honor, quicken our heart, quicken our ears, quicken our understanding. To the glory of your holy name. Someone say amen. Amen. You may be seated in this wonderful presence of the Almighty God. I want to welcome all those watching from all over the world. You will be indeed blessed this morning as you listen, pay close attention, and hear what the Lord has to do. This morning, you will be sitting an exam. Because, you see, if you go to secular education, what happens is when you get into a class, you're admitted based on certain criteria, whatever they are, but the admission board or the school governing council has criteria by which they admit students or peoples. And so when you come in, schools are graded in order in terms of the same school, classes are graded. You have, it could be grade 1, grade 2, grade 10, grade whatever, or year 1, year 2, or from 1, from 2, primary 6, 7, things like that. So if you start in, let's say, primary, or let's say, year 7, or what some of you call form 1, there is a first term. When I was in secondary school in, in, the, eight, in the 80s, there was what you call a first term then a second term, and a third term. Now, each term had an exam. You write first term, exam. The results come out. It can be first, it can be second, it can be third. You can be first from the bottom, whatever the first. Okay. Second term and third term. In some schools, the third term is a summary. In other schools, they just take first, second, third, get your cumulative average, then you move to the next class. 
And so moving to the next class was not predicated on the fact that you were attending that particular level. It's predicated on the fact that you passed the exam. When you pass, you move to the next class. When you pass, you move to the next class. So there's a, some sort of assessment that takes place for you to move from one level to another. It is not just a joint effort that because you started from one with someone, then you must have written your GCO level with that same person. It doesn't work that way. There are some people you come and meet them in a GCE class. They were there before you, but they failed, so you met up with them. And there are others who met up with you because you failed. So they came and met up with you. And so life has been designed in a way that you do not just move from one level to another because you like it. There are some criteria that take you from one level to another. And spiritually as well, in case you didn't know, God also has that spiritual graded system. You don't just move from one spiritual level to the other because you all started the same. No, there is an exam you will pass. So people can be in the same church but in different classes. Some of you may have failed your exam three times. And so in the spirit realm, you don't yet have an O level. And you're rubbing shoulders with people who have first degree in the spirit because you sing in the same choir. You're in the same ushering department. You preach in the same pulpit. You attend the same church. It doesn't necessarily go that way. Because what you don't understand is God sets exams and people write and fail or they pass. But the thing is, God will never set an exam on something he had not exposed you to the answer before. And if the day God was doing revision for that question and you did not come to church, it does not stop the exam from coming. So when you go to secondary school, the day they were, for example, I was the best biology student in my school, my class, so, and my best subject was genetics. So when we were writing the old levels, because I was in the state building now, we were writing that in college building application. And it surprised me that they, their teacher hadn't taught them genetics. And for me, it was the easiest and the simplest stuff. I think I even started with that one. I can't even remember anyway. Okay, then watch this. The day revision is taking place for an exam, if you like, do not attend the revision. It will not stop the GCE board from setting the exam on that particular day. Because the examination date does not factor in your feelings. In fact, it doesn't even factor in that you were sick. GCE would never change the examination date because a particular student fell sick. And so at times, a major crisis or a test or a trial or an examination that God has ordained for your life may be coming in a month's time, in two months' time, in six months' time. And the time God was trying to take you through the revision of that exam, you missed church service. God will not change the date. The exam will still come. That's why I tell people, when you go to school and you miss lectures, what do you do? 
you, I want you to understand, you are more committed to worldly things than to godly things. That's why you advance more in the secular world than in the spirit world. That's why in the secular world, and now you're 40, your CEO, your senior manager, because your operating principles at the workplace that you fail to operate in the spiritual place. When you miss church, do you catch up? That you went back on Facebook and listened to the message and take notes. When you miss a Thursday service, do you ring up to find out who was in the service? What did the pastor preach? What verses did he use? That is why you keep failing exams. Your life keeps going in circles because you keep failing exams that God had given the answer that you didn't come to church. When God puts you in a spiritual structure, he's going to channel all your blessings through that structure. You can't be in the University of London and you're graded by the by Imperial College. As long as you're a member of a church, God connects your spiritual life in that vision. Don't think that you can skip that church and be watching YouTube preachers and think that God will divert your blessing. Go to University of London. Don't attend lectures. Spend your time attending lectures online from University of Oxford. Let me see how you graduate from University of London. Even if the Oxford guy is a senior professor to your London professor, you will not pass a University of London exam by listening to University of Oxford professor. You listen to the professor of Oxford to get some information to add to what London is teaching you because the exam will be set by London, not by Oxford. So I'm saying this, and I will never forget, back to this biology, in Form 5, we're revising. I thought I was the best student, so we're revising. And one guy, I can't forget, he brought the past exam paper of GC 1979. <laughs> this was, when did I get my O levels? This was 91. So that was preparing for the mock. You know, the, the, the this thing you used to write before you do the main thing. I don't know if that still exists, like mock GC. And usually in mock GC, they always, you see, there's a way they teach people back there. It's as though they teach you to fail. It's as if, if many people have A grades, the teacher thinks that he's not teaching well. But in the Western world, the, if people fail, they query you. It shows that you're a bad teacher. But back in Africa and some other third world countries, if people fail, then you're a tough teacher. So there are teachers, my friend who went to University of Boya, of course, Sorry to say that, but that was true. He had a lecture at the guys of late now who openly tells you nobody's having an A grade in my course. <laughs> now it doesn't matter what you write. So they train you to survive in failure. <laughs> and so it makes your system allergic to success. And so and in that biology, of course, they don't want anybody to have an A grade. And I had my A grade anyway in the mock. You can't stop me from that. But how did I get it? When that guy brought 1979 GCO level revision. So we went through the 1979 GC in the revision. So finished everything and went. Then we came to the mock exam. Guess what? My biology teacher just brought 1979 GCO level for the mock. Same thing. I relaxed. I looked at it. Question one, same two, three. I said, huh. Oh, you know the Bible says, thou preparest a table before us. 
Oh Lord, that was the best exam I ever read. Now let me tell you. Oh, a lot of people. Feel, I had an A grade. You know I had an A grade. If I hadn't seen that mock, there were some rugged questions in that GC79. If I hadn't done that division, even though I was the best biology student, I would not have had an A grade. And my A grade was 78%. So it wasn't even, now you can imagine, I saw the whole thing and still had the 78%. Are you following me? So if I had missed that particular revision with that question, I would not have had the grade I had. Now listen to this. Because that is how it is. However, I was comfortable with the exam. I was relaxed. I knew I was going to have an A grade, even though I didn't know. A grade then was 70. I don't know what it is now. So I didn't know all of that. But listen, why was it easy to me? I had revised it. Why was it easy to me? I had seen it before. I had checked the answers before. The time I was revising, I had the... What, what, what book were we using at that time? I can't. I think functional biology came right after. Well, my memory is not too good. But, you know, at that time, you had the textbook. You had the revision paper. So you can check. Check your answers. Fit it. It's like somebody told you 1985 GCE physics is what they're going to set for 2019. If you have that information and you do physics, guess what you'll do? You will take the 1985 GCE physics question and take your textbook and revise it with the textbook and get all the everything right according to the textbook but the day you step into the exam hall you will not have a textbook and so in revision is that God sends you the questions and gives you the textbook to do it but the day the trial will hit you you cannot prepare for a trial in the trial that's what people understand even though you have the Bible, you have church, when it hits you, the church you're trying to attend now because crisis has hit your life, it's already late. It's already late. That's why when you do that kind of emergency treatment in church, it takes the faith of other people to sustain you. It will take the anointing of the pastor to break down your yoke. Are you with me? And so the reason, so when trials come to you, because God had already set you that exam and given you the textbook, you neglected it. You didn't attend the service, you didn't read the book, you didn't do the homework, you didn't pray, you didn't do the fasting. So the trial is tough, it breaks you down. That's why your business is breaking down. Because the time God was trying to train you on how to survive business storms, you were very busy going on around the place. That's why your marriage is breaking down. Because the time God was trying to train you on how to be a husband or a wife, you were busy doing other things. So trial has come, now you're breaking down and complaining, not because the other person is hurting you, but because when the exam was coming, you did not pay attention to study. You were busy on Facebook or painting your face or pumping your chest in the gym, whatever you were doing. Now the exam has come and your mouth has spoiled your relationship. The exam has come and your lifestyle has destroyed the relationship. Why? Exam has come. You didn't prepare. When they were telling you, this is how men are. 
You didn't go to study it. You didn't go on YouTube to study men, to study how they think, how they function, how they relate, what they value, how can I meet the needs of a man. You didn't do it. When they tell this is how women are, you didn't go and study how to satisfy a woman, how to protect a woman, how to meet her. You didn't. Now you're found with one in your hand. Trial has come. Now you call the person a witch. The husband is a wizard. My <laughs> wife is a demon. That is what I am saying. But if you have studied it, I remember one lady, she, she was speaking. The husband was a military captain. And you know there are some professions that put a lot of pressure on you. Legal profession, police work, ministry, being a preacher, uh, um, sports manager, politician, there are professions that, that when you come home, your brain is scattered. Now, this guy's a military captain, and you know at times in the army, they will make you do things that you don't want to do. These fellows can break you down. You can come home and you're just angry, transferring aggression everywhere. And so, this lady is a smart lady. So, when the husband comes back and is screaming at everybody, he will just tell the children, please, things are bad though. Nobody should talk to you. Just go to your rooms. Quiet. No response. Nothing. Just give it. He will calm down. When the man has come scattered everywhere, spoken rudely to everybody, nobody, yes, daddy, no problem, daddy. Daddy, I'm sorry. Daddy, your food is ready. They, that is all they say, whether you're right or wrong. <laughs> then the next day, the man has calmed down. Everything. Then he begins to say, oh, yesterday it was, it was pressure. You say, I said to you, what did I say to you yesterday? Oh, no, no my darling, don't worry. You, you know this, my job is a funny job. No peace has gone. But you who never did that rehearsal. When the man comes in and says one word, you pump your chest. Who are you talking to? Because I'm your wife, you think you can talk to me anyhow? Before you finish that statement, an ambulance is coming. <laughs> because that is an exam you have just failed. Because when it was time to rehearse it, you kept saying, no, no man can talk to me anyhow. You will be crushed. You will be crushed. Why? Because you have no sense. Either you sit in a class and the chemistry teacher is teaching something that he, okay, one time also. <laughs> you, know, you know, when you're taught by teachers who are in the, exam, in the examination council, the ones who set the exams, some of them know the questions that will not come that they did not set on. So they say, no, for evolution, people should not bother. It's not coming in GC. <laughs> she knows. <laughs> they are the ones who said the questions. She knows. So if you can't go and, go, and, go and spend your hours on it, it will not come. <laughs> it will not come. And so you, you look at it. The question now is, when you are smart and you understand how things function, it makes your life very easy. Even at your workplace, when your boss comes back and is fuming, what do you do when your director is screaming at you and you are the manager? If you like, could tell him how nobody has ever spoken to you like that. This rubbish in this office must end. I give you six months. Who, who is going to recommend you for promotion? Now, like I was going back to the thing, the chemistry teacher, he's told you, empirical formula is coming. 
and he's reversing, he's revising empirical form. I'm giving the ones that I used to like. He's revising empirical formulas. And you don't like the man. He's rude to you. He insults you. He doesn't greet you in class. And he has told you empirical formula is coming in the GC exam tomorrow. Come, let me revise it. I want to ask you a question. Will you sit in that class or you say me, I don't like this, but I'm not attending the lecture? That is the point I am saying. Because if you don't sit because you don't like the way the man talks to you, doesn't greet you, it doesn't concern the GC. You will fail. This is the basic common sense killing our generation. Because we do not know how to walk by principles. We love emotional things and feel good things. And you think that principle means you won't feel good? No. Principles of eating. You don't eat poison. Even if it is sweet. Because by principle you will die. Now, does it now mean that the food you like is not is bitter? No. When you drive a car, principle, drive on the on your lane. Does it mean if you drive on the other lane? So, so at times people behave as though when God says follow my precepts, follow my command, they behave as if it means that they will not enjoy life. God is restricting them. I don't understand where that philosophy came from. Because you can never enjoy anything if you go out of the confines of the rules that govern that thing. What is freedom? Freedom doesn't mean do what you like to do. No. Freedom means doing what is right within the context of the law that governs what you're doing. Because there is no freedom without responsibility. But our world is teaching us freedom without responsibility. No. You cannot drive the way you like to drive. That means even in driving you don't have freedom. You cannot just eat anything you like to eat. In eating, you don't have freedom. You cannot enter any plane you want to enter. Your ticket has restricted the plane you can enter. So even if you go to the airport, you don't have freedom to enter any plane. You don't have freedom to do to open any neighbor's door. There is nothing called absolute freedom in life. Away with this American Western philosophy that is so disgusting that makes you think you're free. No human being is free. It's a lie. Okay, you're free to do what? <laughs> okay, fly since you're free. No, freedom exists within boundaries. So before you say you're free, define first of all the boundaries that govern your freedom. Yes, it is your best friend. We talk things together. It doesn't give you freedom to say anything you like to that person. So the freedom is governed by courtesy, by principles of confidentiality, and by respect. Now, that thing has restricted your freedom. Oh, yes. That's right. So that at times the person can get you angry, and you know I cannot insult him. Why? Respect has governed your freedom of expression. So you can't just talk anyhow because you have a mouth. You can't just go anywhere because you have legs. You can't. And you can't just be listening to any kind of preacher because you have ears. Are you following me this morning? I'm trying to paint a picture for you to understand that God is so merciful that he would not allow you, he says, to suffer or be tempted above what you can bear. And with every temptation, he will make a way. Now, in other words, God, <laughs> there is a solution God makes available to you before temptation comes. I give you an example. When you buy a car, it has a windscreen wipers. 
What's the purpose of that? Or windshield. You know, America and British people have different ways of calling it. Windscreen or windshield, same thing, right? So it has a windscreen wiper. Because the manufacturer, when he put the wipers, the car didn't need them because the car is manufactured in a factory. So even if rain is falling, it doesn't fall on the car. Are you with me? So in the factory, the car doesn't need it. But the manufacturer knows that the owner of this car one day will be driving and rain will start falling. And he needs to see. So I need to put in a mechanism by which the windscreen can be constantly cleaned or wiped or water taken out of it so the owner of the car can see while driving. So the windscreen wiper is a solution for rain. Now, but when they were putting the windscreen wiper in the car, there was no rain falling on the car. There was no rain. In other words, solutions come before problems. It's not the reverse. Did you hear what I said? God has never changed. He sends the solution first before the problem comes. He will always give Moses a rock first before they meet the Red Sea. It's always a pattern. He will always make sure a young boy has five loaves and two fish before the, the need to feed the crowd comes. It's not at the level of we want to feed the crowd, then they have to go and buy five loaves and two fish. No. It was already in the crowd. The solution was already in the crowd before the problem manifested. Always like that. But the issue now is when you now neglect that solution and then you meet your crowd and you are eating your five loaves and two fish. Or when it was time to buy, you say you're busy. You're watching a movie. You now meet the Red Sea. And the time God was telling you, he says, take your rod. Exodus chapter 4. Take the rod. Had, let me stop. Had Moses not taken the rod, they would have still reached that Red Sea. Cross. No rod. And that's what is affecting a lot of us. We have met the Red Sea of our lives. But the time God was taking us to pick our rods, we were too busy. Or we were not paying attention. And now you're crying and complaining. That is now when, of course, God being so merciful, he still has alternative plan B miracles he will do to get you across. But it's going to cost you double. Mm. You didn't hear what I just said. Mm. You're going to pay double price to get a plan B. Mm. Because God will always make a plan B available, but you will pay what? Double, double price. And so this morning, like I said, I want us to do an evaluation. Right? To do what? Mm-hmm. What an evaluation. It's more of a process that helps you to determine the value or the quality, you know, or the importance of something. Do an evaluation. Because you see, it is an evaluation that will tell you your level. So, take the GCE paper or the exam paper, go through it. Out of 10 questions, you have the answer only to two. You know what I mean? Something is not right. Something is not right. Mm. If you do not do that, you can always be assuming that you're on track. And then the day the exam comes, out of five compulsory questions, you know only part B of one. (laughs) (laughs) And then see your question. This this exam is so difficult. Listen. Life is not difficult. It is the absence of preparation that makes it difficult. Mm. 
Anything in life you prepare and plan for and master becomes easy. That's why Paul says there's a simplicity that is in Christ. It's not complicated. And so this morning, I want to introduce to you something I did on Thursday. And for those who are here on Thursday, you have double portions. And God will bless you double. That means you're revising twice. You have an excellent distinction. You hear what I just said? Amen. The first thing I want to look at is when scripture talks about the temple of God, right? I want you to look at it at three levels. You with me? How many levels? Three. First level, 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, verse 19. We're going to read those amplified versions, right? There it says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is within you, whom you have received as a gift from God, and that you are not your own property? Do you not know that your body is the temple, the very sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who lives within you? First and foremost, you are, you as an angel, you are a temple. You know what I just said? And like the temple in Israel that had an outer court, hmm, the holy place and the holy of holies, so are you. Your outer court, your holy place, and your holy of holies, because man is spirit, soul, and body. Now, so in a way, you are a temple because God only lives in a temple. God dwells only in temples. That's why David was saying, I want to build a temple so God, you can dwell in it. Because God dwells in temples. That's why God can dwell in a human being. Because a human being is a temple. And temples have characteristics that govern it. Sacrifices can be offered from it. They have altars. Because your life is an altar. Oh, I'm saying something. (laughs) And destinies are changed at altars. Even wicked people know the power of altars. So when wicked witches or wicked people want to destroy your life, they go to a native or witch doctor and they take your name, make sacrifices on their altar. And that exercise starts affecting you spiritually. Altars have power. You are an altar. That means you can carry out activities in your life that will deliver other people. So you are an altar as an individual. Second level of an altar. First Corinthians chapter 3 verse 16. It now says, Do you not know and understand that you, the church, are the temple of God? Oh, yes. It says, do, do you not discern and understand that you, the whole church, are calling are God's temple? You see that? The church now, where they come to worship God, the structure under which God is worshipped, is also referred to as a temple. Are you with me? It says, and that God's spirit has his permanent dwelling in you to be at home with you collectively as a church and also individually. You see that? So collectively as a church, we are a temple. But individually also, we are a temple. Is someone following me? Because it's specified that this temple was in Corinth. So it's referring to a location 
in a particular city where people were meeting and called it a temple. So, seated here this morning, we are in a sort of a temple, collectively. So, you have the individual temple and the one corporate temple, which is the church. By church, I'm not referring to ecclesia, I'm referring to location where people come to worship. Right? So, that's the second type of temple. Now, the third type of temple is Revelation chapter number 11, verse 19. It says, and the temple of God, the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened. The temple of God, which is in heaven, the sanctuary or temple. Most versions put it as temple. Was opened, and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. And there were flashes of lightnings, loud rumblings, and peals of thunder, and an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. Because that temple has power. God dwells in a temple. That's why God told Moses, build the earthly temple according to the pattern I'm going to show you in heaven. So, the one on earth was just a kind of temple in heaven. Because God himself dwells in the Holy of Holies. The mercy seat is there where the blood sacrifice was offered after Jesus rose from the dead. That was in the Holy of Holies. Because in those days, that's the same thing the high priest does when he goes to the Holy of Holies. And so God was saying to Moses, I, God, dwell in a temple. So the question now is, what are those things that characterize the temple of heaven? Now, listen very carefully. (laughs) Mm, Lord Jesus. Because now that is how you're going to assess or evaluate your life. The things in that temple that make it powerful must be the same elements in the corporate temple called the church. And it must be the same elements in the individual temple called your life. And it is based on those criteria that you can assess or evaluate your life to know if you are intact or not. Is someone following me? I'm going to list you five things you see in the temple of God. Now, listen to me. I want you to understand before I even go any further that Satan has lived in the temple of God before. So Lucifer understands the machinations, the workings of the temple of God. He knows what makes that temple powerful. He knows the elements in that temple that if you manifest in your own church or in your individual temple, it's going to explode your life. Satan knows. And so he has a special assignment to stop those things from happening in your life. Because Satan knows if those things start happening in your life, you have gone. You have crossed over. And there are five elements I'm going to bring out this morning. And after we're going to do a self-evaluation, and after I'm going to pray for you based on your report, you will mark your own exam script this morning. So you don't say that the teacher omitted some marks. And it's going to be a quarterly what evaluation. 
for the first three months of the year, January, February, March. We are now in April, so you're going to do an evaluation, quarterly evaluation. So once in a while, like in primary or secondary school, after three months, you write an exam. So you have finished first term for the year, so I want your exam. I came with your examination paper. And all those watching, you will get it info at royalstimmission.org and we'll send you an examination script. Now, in the temple of God, number one, that's where God is. That's where God speaks. That's where the word of God is. In fact, that's where Jesus is, who is the incarnate of God's word. John chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word. word. The word was with God. And the word was God. Now, in the temple of God, the first thing that exists there is the word of God. You cannot dispute that one. It's the word. By word of God, I'm not referring to stories. And God said, let the fish come forth, and fishes came forth. And God said, let the earth produce trees, and so it happened. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. That is how powerful that word is. Now, listen to this. You may say, that is God. Let's come down to the earth. When Jesus was preaching, because what has happened is, Satan knows the power of the word in the temple. And so, if he cannot stop it, he's going to dilute it. So, you will have a form of word, but it has no power. Jesus one day was preaching in a church like this. And one woman started screaming. So, people screaming when preachers are preaching did not start in charismatic churches. It happened in Jesus' time. And the woman, what made that woman scream? She was hearing the word of God in a way that she has never heard before. And she screamed and said to Jesus, she said, what kind of, what? He said, blessed is the woman that gave birth to you. Blessed are the breasts that suckled you. She could not hold her peace. Because the word of God she was hearing was beyond anything she's ever heard before. But she has been in the midst of prophets and doctors of the law and teachers, Pharisees, scribes, and other sorts of people. But this man came with another level of God's word. That's the level I want us to grow into. If you understand that God's word is God's expression, then you would know that we have devalued God beyond measure. One day, this same Jesus, they sent temple policemen who follow a kind of military code to go and arrest Jesus. You know, whether it's police force or military force, when they issue a command, my friend, <laughs> you have to do it. it. You know, your commanding officer can tell you go do something and you go and not do it and come back. Oh, You'll be roasted. No, you will be roasted. The only way you you cannot come back with Jesus. Remember when Paul was being transported to Rome to face trial with Caesar. There was a shipwreck. The centurion in charge of the ship wanted to kill all the prisoners. Because by Roman military etiquette, 
You cannot see your prisoner escape. They will kill you. The highest you can say is that your prisoner died and you show the body. That's why when Paul and Silas were in jail and the prison doors opened, the jailer saw that the prisoners were about to escape. He said the jailer wanted to kill himself. Paul says, no, stop it. We are not going to run away. We are here. Because the, the jailer just assumed they will run away, so I'd rather kill myself. It's more honorable to die on duty than to be court martial. Because when I die on duty, the insurance and benefits will go to my family. But if I'm court martial, nothing goes for them. So when you see that kind of scenario, die. Die on duty. Paul says, no, we're not going anywhere. We're here. Don't kill yourself. Why? You have to kill yourself. Now they have sent them to go and arrest Jesus, and they went to arrest him. You know what happened? When they went to get him, they found him preaching. They say, you know what, let's just, let's wait for this man to finish his rubbish. The other one says, no, let's go and arrest him. As they took the first few steps, the words they heard coming from his mouth. Ah, no. They stood back, they said, what? This is not possible. They listened again. They told themselves, you know what, a man talking like this, we can't touch him. We would rather lose our jobs than touch this man. It is unheard of. They went back and told the commanding officer. They says, the commanding officer said, okay, now you, I hope you kept him in the cell. Make sure the cell is locked and make sure it's protected. They said, officer, we didn't get him. He said, I've told you to stop. I'm not, I'm not your mate. Stop saying things anyhow. I'm going home. Just make sure he's secure. They said, we didn't bring him. He went and opened the cell empty. He came back to himself said, you'd rather kill us or suck us. What we heard coming out of his mouth. In fact, King James says, never have we heard any man speak like this man. <laughs> you know, there are some verses that you have to put them in the King James for it to carry some anointing. It says, no man ever spake like this man. No man ever. In other words, something came out of his mouth that made police or military officers to change their mind and disobey hierarchy. That thing must be super powerful. That's what I call the word of God. It's not a thing you are listening today. The cover of your socks, your the five last numbers of your telephone, the, oh, those are all anointed speculations. Like, you know, in those days when you want to do, you know, you close your eye, you do like that. And then, no, 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 no. That is like you're playing lottery. Of course, somebody here must have a brown socks. I don't need an anointing to descend that. There must be at least six people here whose underwear is white or black. It's just a, it's a given. I don't need any prophecy for that. There must be at least three young ladies here who have been disappointed in the last two years. I don't need prophecy to say that. If I call you, at least three women will stand up. There must be at least three ladies here whom a man has disappointed in the last two years. There must be at least one person here who has invested something that did not work in the last six months. It's a must. There are. And even listening to me. There are at least ten people listening to me now on Facebook who are struggling with paper issues. There are. there are at least some two, three people who are struggling with a particular sin that has held you. You want to go the sin since you are going nowhere, you're my own. They are listening to me. So let's not get confused. 
And if any of what I said applies to you, God is bringing your solution. Now you see, I've prophesied and prayed for you. (laughs) But in a very decent way. (laughs) A respected way. But all that is not the word of God. Because a good psychologist can say that. And if he has any church knowledge, he can just baptize them with one or two verses and harvest your offering. So at the end of the service, bring my offering to you. <laughs> that is that when the word of God is absent in the temple, in other words, in the church, or when the word of God is absent in your life, oh, Wherever, and darkness covered the face of the deep and God said let there be light it was the word that brought light in darkness it was Paul told Timothy that the church is the pillar of truth truth is not just truth for the church that's what God says you are the light of the world not the light of the church that means people should come to church to hear truth not just spiritual truth, but truth about every aspect of their life. A doctor sitting, a lawyer sitting, an engineer sitting, a student sitting, when you preach, they should get truth at various levels in relationship with their profession that makes them better doctor, better lawyer. A lawyer should sit in church and after the sermon, he has had an answer for the case he has in court tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But you're not preaching on case law. That's what I'm talking about. We've missed it. Now, the temple. You, see, you can now see when you now come to the earthly temple, to the churches, do you see that word? Okay, you as an individual now, as, as a temple, as an individual, is the word there. Because the word is not just an abstract. It, it is how scripture says that there are some people I think it's Isaiah. Yeah, Isaiah. It says, who tremble at my word. Who tremble it's not the kind of thing today you hear God say, ah, that's what the Bible says, but no, you know, man, I don't believe in that kind of thing. Ah, hear what the Christian is saying. Yeah, I know that's what the Bible says, but you know, people don't understand my experience. Listen to a Christian. Listen to a Christian. If someone says, hey, I know my body needs protein, hey, but I don't feel like eating protein, I eat carbohydrate. Do it now. Who's going to get kwashoko? No, do, nutritionally, do that same thing. And the police, they have put a police barrier here. Nobody should pass. And I know that's what the police says. But me, I don't believe in that thing. Break the barrier with your car and go through. Go through. You go to the plane. Your ticket's economy class. They say, oh, economy class is from row number 16. And no, I don't know. Sit in first class. Let me see how you fly in that first class. <laughs> Sit in that first class. When the air hostess tells you your economy ticket, argue with the hostess. I know it's the economy ticket, but I don't feel like flying the economy today. I don't know what is wrong. You see, Satan has deceived us in a way that it is mind-blowing. That's why the ark of God was in Abinadab's house for 20 years. A church man and did nothing for him. But when that ark went to Obed-Edom, a non-Gentile man, a guy who's not even a Jewish man, he valued it, respected it, and within three months, God blessed him. Transformed his economy. That's what's happening. Without Abinadab in church, they have no value for God's word. 
Let your words be seasoned with salt. They don't listen. They keep insulting everybody. Let your life be in order and in discipline. They are the most disorganized human beings you can ever find. Have compassion one for another. But that one's causing trouble everywhere they go. In fact, their surname is trouble. Wherever they pass, trouble follows. Be generous and bless people around you. Not that the most stingy people. Yet the Bible says it. Then someone else who doesn't even come to church will obey that word and get the success of God. Where has the word of God gone? Why has he left our temple? Because we have substituted the word of God for other things. God is not money. When you reduce God to provision, you have diminished God. Because you don't even need God to prosper financially. Financial prosperity is a blessing that comes to you as you follow God. But it is not God. If I give you money, it doesn't make me money. Because I gave you money. So we have taken the thing God does and summarized it to be God. God delivers people. But God's name is not deliverance. God provides. But God is not provision. But he provides. God can bless you. But God in himself, his name is not blessing. Because those are the things he does. And what you do is not you. <laughs> you are not getting it. I'm sure I'm too deep for some of you this morning. God is who he is. Because even without the provision, he is still God. Yes. Without the blessing, he is still God. Even if he doesn't deliver, he is still God. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego understood. They said to Nebuchadnezzar, listen, we know God. If he may deliver us, because he's a God who can deliver, even if he doesn't, he is still God. I will not bow to your image. Hallelujah. That is what I'm looking for. Yes. Amen. But some of you will not go to a place if there's no deliverance. Because you're using deliverance as a yardstick to measure if God is somewhere. You're using prophecy to measure God is somewhere. So somebody comes to you, say, hey, I want to come to your church. You say, oh, my pastor is a wonderful say, But does your pastor see? Does he, does he see? Is your pastor supposed to see or supposed to preach the word of God? They are no longer say, does your pastor teach the Bible well? You don't hear that anymore. They say, does your pastor do deliverance? Does your, because they forget that the greatest deliverance weapon is the word of God. The psalmist said, he sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them. It doesn't mean you will not pray deliverance. No, it means it's not a priority. At times even, whatever you call demon is not your ignorance. Mm. My people are destroyed for lack of what? Knowledge. You must always... Let, let, let me give you my own formula. 80% of your problem is lack of knowledge. 15% is your stupidity. That means it wasn't lack of knowledge, but you're a stupid person. Only 5% has demonic connections. And now, you cannot negate the 5%. Because if you have a problem that falls within the 5%, you better do come out in Jesus' name. You better bring us, you better cast out that devil. You better do that deliverance. But I'm saying 80% of your trouble is lack of knowledge. It's lack of knowledge. Are you with me? Okay. The second thing you find in the temple is what? 
He says, in the temple of God, there are 24 elders and four living creatures. What do they do? They bow and worship. They bow. That's why Lucifer was choir mistress in hell. Choir master, choir mistress. Any, any gender, no problem. Choir something, choir leader in heaven. Now, worship characterizes the throne. After the word worship. Now, come now to the temple on earth. Is there worship in the church? I didn't say singing. I said, he did not say the four living creatures were singing. They were worshipping him. You can sing and not worship. And you can worship without singing. One time, there was a battle in Israel, Jehoshaphat. The enemy came against him. And God said, Jehoshaphat, relax. Just send your choir to sing. And Jehoshaphat's choir was a very professional choir. They know the difference between A minor and key. They know all of that. Who is singing bass? Who is singing soprano? No, Joshua's choir was a, was a very good professional choir. And they sang and the anointing came. And by that music, the devil was defeated. Alright. One day also, two other people found themselves in a difficult situation. Paul and Silas. None of them belonged to the choir. Silas is singing on key <laughs> F. Paul is on key B. No coordination. However, the Bible says power came upon the prison. Because it is not the professionalism that brings the choir. However, professionalism does not stop the anointing. So don't think because some choir is skillful and professional, you just assume that they are not anointed. No! I've shown you a choir that was powerfully professional, they still brought the glory of God. Another one that was not professional, they still brought the glory of God. Because true worship is in the heart. But it is better when that heart expresses itself through a good quality voice. Oh, Oh, you didn't hear what I just said. It is better when that heart expresses itself through good professionalism. But again, I'm trying to show you what music can do. And for us to see how we are not even tapping into the power of worship. That means only during the worship session, someone's problem can be totally solved. It says God dwells in the praises of his people. So God's second home is praise, worship, music. So I come to your life as a temple. How much worship is in your life? When your life is always full of complaints. How much worship is in the church? When you have churches that believe that the job of the choir is to prepare the place for the preacher to preach. So the music has become something that they use to prepare the people to hear God's word. As though the music itself cannot be God's word. So what are they singing? It's not supposed to be God's word. How come they are singing God's word and then you are saying that God's word is still to come with the preaching? How do you say that? The preaching is just part two of the word. Because someone's life will be transformed through the choir, not through the preaching. In some circumstances, everybody happens to us. I may be talking here after I go say, oh, that part, pastor preach about temple. Then what touched you was the song the choir sang music 
is being lost in the church. I mean quality anointed transforming worship. Those that worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. The third thing you find in the temple, it says Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession. In the temple Moses built, there was something called the altar of incense. Which Revelation says it is the prayers of the saints. <laughs> the temple of God is full of intercession and prayers. Now, let me now come to the church. Is the church really full of prayer and intercession? And for you listening, your church you go through, can it be identified as a praying church? That's the question. Because what has happened is we are not interceding and praying anymore. We are now on quick, easy, quick fix things. Even when we pray, we pray out of pressure, not out of relationship. So some of you are most prayerful when you have problems. That makes you a selfish prayer person. You didn't get what I said? It's your problem that motivates you to pray. That means you really don't have a prayer relationship with God. Praying, I, I won't even go into the details of that. Because you cannot replace prayer by the word. You cannot replace prayer by music. These three things, are inter- you cannot interchange them. No, no, no. It's like saying I'm going to replace protein with carbohydrate. No, each of them have their place and they don't replace each other. You say, well, pastor, I don't have time to pray. No. When you're driving, pray. Worship. When you take your break for 30 minutes and you go to the loo to release whatever you're releasing, that five minutes you're sitting on the toilet pot, you can pray, you can worship. When you're walking to get into the bus, you can pray, you can worship. At the end of the day, you'll be shocked you prayed and worshiped for one hour. But you did not sit down and get one straight hour. Because we are not, we, see, there are two things that have to be a lifestyle, not just something you do, that you come and do it because there was a prayer meeting. No. People who pray because of a prayer meeting, they are still children. Prayer and worship should be a lifestyle. It is not an event or an activity you do. It is a lifestyle. So look at your life. Is there, is there an altar of incense in your individual temple? Number three, number four. In that temple, <laughs> which also reflects the temple God told Moses to build, every vessel in the temple God told Moses plated with gold. Someone say gold. In fact, the act of the covenant, which is the most sacred item in the temple that Moses built, God said, overlay it with gold. Oh, overlay it with what? Gold. Hear me clearly. The streets of heaven are paved with what? Gold. Hey, there is gold in the temple up there. Now, my question is to the church now. Is there gold in the church? Where is the financial prosperity? In your life, is your life plated with gold? Now, you see where I'm coming? There you go. The word of God, powerful. Worship, powerful. Intercession, powerful. Gold, powerful. Prosperity. The Bible says, God taketh pleasure in the prosperity of his servants. Now you see, the problem with prosperity is when you try to isolate it from all these things I'm talking about. Because when your prosperity does not have the word of God, you become crazy. When your prosperity does not have intercession, you won't even be able to discern the will of God to know what to do with that money. 
prosperity that has the word of God, that has worship and that has intercession can never be abused. Show me a man abusing his prosperity and I'll show you a man who does not have either of the three. There will be something wrong about his word. There will be something wrong about his intercession life. There will be something wrong about his worship. Oh yes. That's where the balance comes in. And so if you value God's word, you're a worshiper and an intercessor, don't be scared of money. It will not harm you. It will not destroy you. I'm telling you. It doesn't matter how much God gives you. If these first three things are in place, because it is worship and prayer and the word of God that makes you know that even that money means nothing. You are just a channel. It does not dictate your level of joy because you've already found joy in the word of God, in prayer and in worship. So the money comes to help you accomplish the things you saw in God's word that God has confirmed in your life through prayer and you're worshiping him for. So the money comes as a help meet to accomplish your purpose. Because money and women have a, a, a very close relationship. Is that both of them help in accomplishing things. That's why those two people are very related. Is someone listening to me? Pay close attention to me. I'm telling you the truth. I'm trying to balance your life. And even the church. Now. The fifth thing <laughs> you see in that temple in heaven, once you go to Revelations, you will see order. Someone say order. order. Structure. Discipline. There is order in the temple. Even if you go to the temple of Moses, my friend, there was order. Where things are kept, how they worship, you don't just do things anyhow. Now, let's come now to the temple referring to the church. Is there order in the church? Paul says, let everything be done in order. Is there order? Is there structure? Because see, see where the problem is. There are people that if there's no order in your church, they will never join. There are people that if there's disorder in your life, you can never attract them. Even in the Old Testament, God said, when you go and pass out your physique, you must dig a hole and cover it. He says that because as I walk in the camp, if I see that thing, I'll punish you. Because God is a God of order and cleanliness and discipline. Are you following me? Yes. When the queen of Sheba visited Solomon, she was not impressed by the wealth of Solomon. There are two things that took her off her feet. The first thing was the word of God through Solomon's mouth called wisdom. And the second thing, it was order. He said when she saw the way Solomon structured the palace, the order, the, the structure with which his servants were operating, the woman said she, she just, that was it. Ladies and gentlemen, hear me clearly. There is a battle, as I conclude, for these five things in your life. Satan is fighting hard to make sure you do not manifest any of these five things. Is someone listening to me? So number one, listen. You will see a strong church that is powerful. They can preach powerfully. But the choir and the music is a mess. You see another church, they have a good choir, powerful music ministry. Whoa, the worship is sensational. Wait until they finish. And the man climbs up the pulpit. And you wonder, what is that man preaching? You have some churches that they can pray. They can pray. I 
and they can confess God's word. But everybody is poor. There's no goal. Then you have the ones that they can worship, they can pray, but very disorganized, disorderly church. Likewise, at an individual temple, same thing. You will see a brother, he has the word of God. Oh, you any that the word of God in his life is something you can never imagine. But his pockets are empty. And when you visit him in his house, his socks is in the kitchen. His underwear is in the bathroom. There is no order. Listen to me. One of the greatest battles, and I want to say this as someone who has been in ministry for more than 25 years, one of the greatest battles in church planting is to get a church that has all five. Because I personally believe that there are demons assigned on earth to make sure that churches don't have all five. And by extension, to make sure that those five things don't manifest in your life. Look at your life. Evaluate yourself. You see what I'm talking about. Some of you are very powerful in the word of God. You believe it. You preach it. You like it. You can worship God. But you just can't pray. Prayer for you. (laughs) Ten minutes, you're tired. You're sleeping. Some of you, you can pray. You can worship. But you're begging everybody for money every way. Some of you, you pray, you worship, but you're the most disorganized creature that somebody can meet. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my prayer for the church, not just us, all over the world, that these five things, one, these things that, that the church, do you know any of these five things can grow a mega church? There are churches I know it is just the word, preaching of the word, the word, the word, that made them big and bigger. There are churches I know, it is by prayer and intercession, they became global and big. Oh, I'm telling you the truth. There are churches, I know, that it is a financial power that has made them grow big, become a mega church. And there's nothing wrong in any of them, but the point is, being big and being mega, doesn't mean you're healthy. You don't understand me. Even physically, health is not determined by the size of a person. Some of the so-called mega churches that you think are big, they're actually obese churches. It's obesity. Spiritual obesity. It's not that they're healthy churches. Go and check the blood pressure of those churches in the spirit. Because those churches are giving angels Oh, if, if angels were human beings, he would have given them heart attack every day. I'm telling the truth. You can grow a mega church on any of these five. So, and Satan's plan is for you to grow big without all five. Can you imagine where you have a mega church and the word of God is not the central part of that church? Picture it for a while. Something is not right. Okay, imagine that you have a big church and the people don't pray. Then I guarantee you that the agents of darkness are behaving in the leadership of that church. Because at times it takes fire to expose the devil. The Bible says when Paul was gathering sticks, and when he put them in the fire, the serpent came out. And it is prayer that produces fire in any church. That's why the Bible says that the altar of incense is the prayer of the saints, because that's where you burn the fire. It is the altar of 
incense, the fire that produces what? The incense. That means the fire of the spirit realm is generated by prayers. And if all fire was what exposed the serpent, it therefore means it is prayer and intercession that exposes demonic activities in churches. Otherwise, your chief usher or chief deacon or main leader or administrative department head, whatever you call it, can be someone who worships the devil at night and worships in your church in the morning. And you don't even know. Oh, someone didn't hear me. You don't have a clue how much churches have leaderships that are... Huh, let's not even go into that. Are you following me? Yeah. Are you following me? Yes. Likewise, in your life, when there's no prayer in your life, even the people that come to you, even the ones that come to say, I love you, when your life is not full of prayer and intercession, that fire will not be able to expose them. You will one day say, yes, I do, to a demonic person that you don't even know. You didn't hear what I just said. So you can see why we need the balance. Is somebody with me? Now I know I'm preaching ministerial stuff now and I do it deliberately because I want this message to sink into you. So, this is how we conclude. Any church, any individual you want to assess or evaluate, right? Use these five, five criteria. One, like take this church for example. If you want to have the report card of this church, how God sees it, not the way we see it, Oh, our church is a good church. Come to our church. It's a wonderful church. No, no, no. All that thing you're just saying is publicity to bring people to your church. When you want to go deep into what matters. One, word of God. Don't be emotional when you when you do evaluation. Don't be emotional. One, word of God. And this is all you say. Now, I, I have my forms here with me. Can, can the ushers help me, please? Just distribute that to everybody very fast. Just give it to like three ushers so we can go fast. And all those watching, you have it. So, it's like a quarterly self-evaluation. One person on one side, the other on the other side. Evaluation on my form says, the process of judgment or determination of the importance, quality, or value of something. Are you with me? Now, look at your form. I used a verse on that form that will bless you. It says, 1 Corinthians 11 verse 31. Have you seen it there? Amplified says, but if we evaluated and judged ourselves honestly, recognizing our shortcomings and correcting our behavior, we would not be judged. If you don't want God to judge you, judge yourself. I'm telling you, then you don't need to fear God. Evaluate yourself. Look at 2 Corinthians 13 verse 5. It says, test and evaluate yourselves to see whether you are in the faith and living your lives as committed believers. You see that again? He says you can be assuming that you're a committed believer. The only way you will know is to evaluate yourself. So if you don't carry out evaluation, you wouldn't know. You can be failing the exam and you don't even know. It says, examine yourselves, not me. Then Luke 19.22 says, the ruler replied, I will condemn you using your own very words, you worthless servant. So I'm a severe man, am I? So I take a profit without making investment and harvest without planting seed. The parable of the talents, the owner says, since you say I'm wicked, I'll treat you like that. Which means that person gave God his report card by which God judged him. So the first thing you do, like you see on the form, and those who are watching, you, you can info at royalcitymission.org and you'll get the form. For, look at this. It says the word of God. Now, take any church, any church, ask yourself, in this church, 
Where do I read the word of God? Is it poor? Is it fair? Is it good or excellent? You tick the box. Oh, don't be emotional. It, because you're going to do it for this church and for your individual temple. So, in terms of the word of God, you as a person, if you want to read the word of God in your life, will it be poor, fair, average, good, or excellent? You go to the next one. The spirit of worship. That spirit of worship. The spirit of worship in your life. If you want to rate your life based on your worship, is your life, are you a poor worshiper, a fair worshiper, a, an average worshiper, a good worshiper, or an excellent worshiper? Are you the type that you only worship God when things are fine? If you're not that person, the highest you can score in worship will be fair. By the time you say you're good or excellent, it must be the kind of person that not just you worship all times, you worship in all situations. God answers your prayer, doesn't answer, it doesn't affect your worship. Then you go to bringing that to temple life like a church. How is worship in that church? How is the music? How is the how do they value music? They can spend millions of dollars to buy cars to transport people, but they cannot spend a thousand for quality equipment for the music department. Something is not right with that kind of vision. Something is not right. They can spend 15 minutes making announcements, but they will not give choir more than five minutes to sing. People came to church to hear announcements. They did not come to worship God. How come announcements take 20 minutes every Sunday, yet choir has five minutes? And when they go above five minutes, you credit the choir leader for a meeting. Something is not right. You go to the third one, the lifestyle of intercession. As a church, how do you rate the intercession? And I'm saying this, pastors are listening to this message. So, rate yourself, rate your church. Can we say of your church, it is a church where people pray. So, is the prayer life of the people poor, fair, average, good, or excellent? You go to the next one. Gold-plated vessels. Financial prosperity. How do you rate it? Is the church poor in finances? Fair, average, good, or excellent? That means, is there any way money can limit the vision of the church? Then the church is either poor or fair. That means, though the people can worship and pray... <laughs> After the end of the day, you collect offerings fifty dollars. The the last one, an environment of order and structure. How do you rate it? How is the order? How is the structure? When they come to your church, is your church organized? Is it orderly? Or your life? How do you rate order in your life? Now, this evaluation I gave you is for your personal life because I want you to mark your exam and when you do each of them poor is one i want to show you how to, to rate it you see poor if you take poor is what one if you take fair two good three points no average three points good four points excellent five points so what's the maximum you can get in those five so you have on the score total score on 25 so you put it now, just multiply that by 4, you get the percentage. So, if you have 1, 1, 1, 1, 1, that will be 5 on 25. Right? So, 25 times 4, 20. So, your percentage is what? 20%. So, I am saying your spiritual exam before God is 20%. You have an F. Evaluator's initials. 
you put your initials in any order because I'm going to collect back my valuation because I'm praying for each and every one of it. Amen. And I don't want to know your name. Amen. So put your initials in a way that I will not know. So if you're Lady Macbeth, L Lady Macbeth of of Gloucester, Lady Macbeth of Gloucester, L, you know, whatever. Reverse the initials. Just put any initials that, you know, you, I will know your own. Anyhow you turn it. So just put any initials. Are you with me? Because I want to lay hands on every report card and ask God to turn your life around. And whatever is blocking the word of God in your life, whatever is blocking your worship, whatever is blocking your intercession, whatever is blocking your prosperity, whatever is coming against the order of your life, I want God to take it away and make your life a life of quality. Is someone with me? So if you have five excellent, excellent, excellent in all five, 25 or 25, your spiritual life is what? Excellent, 100%. But if I see five, 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 I'll not just mark it because I'll know I just found a liar, a very good one. Are you with me? Rise up on your feet. What we've done today is we've looked at <laughs> self evaluation. Are you with me? Self what? Self evaluation. To evaluate our lives and see where we are. And my prayer is that God will speak to you. And on that paper, you can write your prayer point if you have any. Because that's, I'll do that this week. I'll pray for all of that this week. And let's trust God together that our church will reflect the temple in heaven. And our lives will reflect the temple in heaven. You may not be where you have to be. Don't worry. You may fall. You may even do this evaluation and you score below 50%. You see, that is the good thing. Is that this is evaluation. It's not yet the exam. So now you have the evaluation. You know your level. Start working on it. And I guarantee you, balance your life on these five things. And you'll be amazed what God can do for you. Lift up your hands. Give him praise. Thank you, Father. We worship you. We exalt you.